We've had a theme verse that we've been working through here for eight weeks now. Very simple verse from John chapter 10, verse 27, where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do you follow someone who hasn't physically been on the planet for almost 2,000 years? And that's not an academic question. That's a real life question, right? When we hear Jesus say, my sheep, I want to be one of his sheep, hear my voice. Maybe we can handle that a little bit out of the spirit and, you know, the word of God and whatever. And I know them and they follow me. How do you see someone who's not been on the planet for almost 2,000 years so you can follow him? I mean, in essence, that's not only the critical to our own spiritual vitality and health, actually kind of being all that God has granted us as a gift through our relationship with him, but it's also what our life mission is supposed to be all about, following him. So how do you follow somebody who's not physically been on the planet for almost 2,000 years? I want to try to answer that question today. As you can tell up front, that's probably not, it's really hard to give you airtight kind of answers. What we're going to talk about is a little bit more about of, a, of, a, of an art than it is a science. But I am going to point you on some pathways, I think, that can really develop your spiritual skill set to be able to see God in your life, in your circumstances, in your experiences, and know how to join Him and to connect with Him and following Him and being about the things that He's called you to be about. So I want to talk about three different things this morning. One, I want to talk about maintaining a sense of expectancy in terms of seeing God that we stay actively looking and why we do that. I want to talk about how we actually see the presence of God among us by looking for some of the character, the attributes of God being manifest in our circumstances. And then how you and I can need to be ready to join Him in that activity. How to plug in and to respond to the circumstances that are in front of us. And I want to start, first of all, with this idea of expecting or actively looking for God to be at work among us. And I want to lay a foundation for this. Because, you know, many of us, even who, those of us who call upon the name of the Lord as our Savior, I mean, we're, we're, we're ready to step up and say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I believe that Jesus is God's Son. Many of us live our lives without really any expectancy that God's going to show up. How many of you went off to school or work on Thursday expecting for God to show up? How about Tuesday? Or Wednesday. It's very interesting in John chapter 5, 17th verse, and I've quoted it for you. And I'm sorry this morning, it's one of these sermons where we're going to bounce around from a lot of text. So I've tried to give you most of the scriptures in, in the outline. You know, Jesus is having a dialogue with the religious leaders, and they're all upset because Jesus has healed a guy on the Sabbath. So they're, they're, they start to persecute him because he's healed a guy on the Sabbath. And what Jesus' response is, is that, well, my father is working, and I also am working. And what he's really saying to them is, God never stops being active in our world. Just because it's the Sabbath when we're supp- you as God's creation is supposed to rest doesn't mean that God stops acting in our world. God's always at work. There is no siesta. There's no vacation. God's always at work. So on Tuesday when you went to work, God was working. On Thursday when you went to work or school, God was working. On Wednesday when you stayed home sick, if you got to stay home sick, God was working. God's always at work. And yet in the midst of that, he's always calling us to be a part of that journey. You know, Jesus said, you know, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. God always has a role for us. So God is always at work and he's constantly inviting us into that activity with us. And so we need to maintain this sense of expectancy. We need to be actively looking. Now, 
the reality is, and you guys know this, and I know this, even from the job that I do, is that life has this wonderful blinding effect, doesn't it? You know, life just kind of happens. And the problem is, is life just keeps happening all the time. And after a while, all you can see is life. You know, it, it totally absorbs all of your concentration and your focus. And you, and you don't begin to expect, you know, that when I was a, a kid, I was working for my father's construction company, and the guy that I actually worked for ran the back shop and sent out all the tools and supplies and all that kind of stuff. And I always liked the best when I was just driving the truck and I was away from the office. That was the, the best part of the job. But he had this sign over his desk, something he had found somewhere and he'd photocopied. And he stuck, stuck over his desk and it was a picture of a guy standing in the middle of a big swamp up to about his elbows with alligators or swinging all, swimming all around him. And the sign says, when you're up to your elbows and alligators, it's hard to remember that your job is to drain the swamp. Sometimes that's the way we feel about life, right? We know that we're supposed to serve and please God and be God's agents of grace in our world and et cetera. But, you know, that's hard to maintain when life is just overwhelming us. And all we can see is the alligators going on around us that we can't really remember. I mean, and this is why it is so important, just the basic, fundamental, personal, spiritual disciplines of slowing down, spending some time with God through being in His Word, thinking and reflecting on what God has said in His Word, praying, being with other believers, and etc. Because there is no way for us to maintain this sense of expectancy, to see this God who actually is still here, even though He physically left the planet some 2,000 years ago, if we're not actively looking for it. And we need to cultivate that expectancy. And we counteract all of the blinding effect of everyday life by getting aside and spending some time with Jesus. Those personal spiritual debts. So we can develop that skill set of being able to follow this one who has left the planet physically some 2,000 years ago by developing the sense of actively looking and expecting for him to be at work. So now we're looking. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And I'd say one of the things you need to do is, is sharpen your focus. Now, you know, when I was in seminary and, and since then, I, I occasionally go back and I read guys who were like, like St. Francis of Assisi. He was very, you know, very influential, tremendous heart for God. But, you know, he could see God in everything. You know, he could see God in the lilies of the field and he could see God in his oatmeal. You know, he could just see God everywhere, you know. And, and I don't know about you, but that doesn't work for me. You know, because I, I, I want to get a little bit more of a direction. If God's everywhere, then, then I have no idea what to do because God is just always everywhere. So how do you get a little bit more? And, and I think you need to really begin to look for specific kinds of manifestations of the presence of God that give you direction on how to engage. It's interesting, I've quoted for you some verses here from John chapter 14. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. One of the places I love to go when I'm doing a funeral. Passages start, the chapter starts out with, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place with, for you so that you can come to be with us. Thomas raises his hand. We don't know where you're going. Jesus said, you know the way, because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So then Philip pipes up and says, you know what? Jesus, we would just be satisfied if you just showed us the Father. And you can almost see just Jesus kind of shrug and go like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John's Gospel put it this way. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And a little later in verse 18, it says, "As He who has made Him known. And that phrase, grace and truth there, really is a, a statement of the entire character of God. I think that in developing this skill set on how to be able to follow someone who physically left the planet 2,000 years ago, not only do we need to be looking, but we need to know what we're looking for. We need to zero in our focus, and we need to look for the character of God as it emerges in the world around us. Well, what does that feel like? What does that look like? 
And, and, and I'm trying to be as practical as I can in something that's a little bit more touchy-feely. And here's the, here's the statement, some of the things that I would share with you. God is just. Wouldn't you say that's a fair statement from the Scriptures? God has revealed himself to us that he's just. So how do you see that in the world? I think part of what you, do, you can do is when you look at somebody whose life has just become an unraveled because they've been disobedient to God, they're just, they're just relishing in, in sin, they're kind of a, a, out of control, I think you see the character of God. When you see somebody, how did I put it in your outline? When you see sin causing devastation in the lives of people, you can see the hand of God. That's a God sighting, if you will. You know, you want to see this in the New Testament? Just think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Some of you are familiar with that story. Some of you aren't. You know, they had basically kind of were, were, they were impressed by the accolades that Barnabas had gotten for selling a piece of land and donating all the proceeds from that sale to the apostles to use to meet the needs of the fledgling church in Jerusalem. So they went out and sold their own piece of property. But they decided not to give all of it. They only wanted to give part of the proceeds. But they said that it was all of it. And God brought condemnation on them just like that. And, and literally as, as they recognized their sin in the presence of God, they, they dropped dead and their lives were gone. Well, it may not be quite that severe in the things that you'll see. I was up on Friday to my parents' place in, up in Laconia and I was helping them do a few things before they get ready to go back to Florida and... and you know, we, we drove by a marina on the end of the lake there in Pagus Bay. And my father pointed at it and said, that's, that's the one that's owned by the lady who has to go back to prison every night. I said, what? And a couple of years ago, there was an accident on the lake about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, out driving a high-speed cigarette boat at about 55 miles an hour. She had hit an island in the middle of the night with three other people on a boat, and most of them died, except for her. Drunk out of her mind and et cetera. So she goes to work in the morning wearing an ace bracelet. She gets done at the end of the day. She goes back to the state prison one town over, spends the night. Justice of God, right? It's a God sighting. It's not just God's justice. You can also see that God is a God of peace. And when we use that terminology, we don't mean just the absence of conflict, but we also mean when there's a deep sense of, of wellness within us. When, when we know that we're at peace, we, we, there's a sense of rest and contentment and joy that can't be impacted by our circumstances. God's a God of peace. The Hebrew word shalom. When you look around and you see people who seem to be having worldly success, but there is no joy because they don't have the God who grants peace. It's a God sighting. If you want to look at a biblical example for that, you could look at not only the rich young ruler, who even though he had much riches, comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to have security to know that I have eternal life? Or you could look at the book of Ecclesiastes where you know the Solomon, who is the wisest of all and has literally the wealth of the nations at his feet, has every opportunity before him and says, you know, my life is no different, it's no better than the poor guy who has nothing. It says, all is vanity. Tell you what, when you look around and you see people who are successful and their lives are coming apart at the seams because there's no peace, it's a God sighting. Guys, hear about Charlie Sheen this week? What does he make per episode? Two million dollars. I'd do a 30 minute show for two million bucks. I might even do it for half that, you know? And what happened this week? He's in New York with his ex wife and the two kids. They're not staying together, but they do their daily thing together as a family. Then they go back to the hotel and they head off to different rooms, and there's just no peace, and he just trashes the place in a drunken, drug filled stupor. It's a God sighting because with God, there's peace. God is love. When you see the need for sacrificial, unconditional love around you, it's a God sighting. The scripture tells us that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. When you see the need for sacrificial, unconditional love around you, it's a God sighting. Do you know tomorrow starts National Adoption Month? Perhaps there's a God sighting in there. 
for the sacrificial, unconditional love. God, the Scripture tells us that God is good. The Scripture tells us that everything that is good is, comes from God. He's the source of all that's good. When you see an example of goodness in the world, it's a God sighting. The New Testament, it's a small boy bringing his loaves and fishes to Jesus. I think his motivation was, even though he was hungry and there was no food, he didn't want Jesus to be hungry. So he brought a small meal to Jesus. What did Jesus do with that goodness? Fed, fed a multitude. When you, see the, when you see good in the world, it's a God sighting. It's an invitation to see God at work and to follow. God is powerful. That means a lot of things, but part of what it means is that God loves to do the extraordinary with the ordinary and the weak. He's the one who likes to just take the Israelites through the Red Sea and then he can take care of it himself. You know, or God, you know, I, I love when Peter and John were standing before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts. You know, Jesus is, you know, he's died, he's, he's risen to heaven, the, the, the Holy Spirit has come, and, and, and the apostles are now preaching in Jesus' name. They're doing miracles in the names of Jesus, and, and, and the Jewish leaders are trying to get this thing all under control, and they, they bring in Peter and John who have done a, who have been used of God to do this miracle in the life of a guy who couldn't walk, and, and they're standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're looking at him and saying, these guys are uneducated. These are nothing but just a couple of a hicks from back in the sticks up in Galilee. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And they couldn't deny that a miracle had taken place through their hands. That's a God sighting. Because the power of God was evident. God is merciful. When you see individuals being spared, and God intervening in His grace and mercy and and, and providing deliverance for them. And it can come in lots of different forms. In the New Testament, I, I love the story of the, the woman who's caught in adultery, and they bring her in before the religious leaders, and they're ready to, they're saying, you know, the law of Moses says that she's supposed to be stoned, and they're really kind of challenging Jesus to be the first one to pick up a stone and to throw it at the woman. And, you know, he's the one who, and because they know that he loves sinners, and so he's not very likely to do that, and they want to catch him in it and, Jesus just looks at them and said, you know, those of you without sin, throw the first stone. Scripture teaches that as one by one they dropped their stones and they left. And Jesus looked at this woman. He said, where are all your accusers? Where are all your executioners? She said, well, they've all left. She said, you know what? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The mercy of God on display. But it comes in lots of shapes and sizes. Some of you know the story of John Shoemaker who worships with us. John and his, his friend were took a hike up Mount Wachusett, what, about a year and a half ago now? He got to the top of the mountain. He had a heart attack, a good-sized heart attack. There were two doctors and a nurse up there on the mountain at that particular time, and one of them happened to be a cardiologist. It's the only reason he lived. It's the mercy of God. You ever had any of those moments behind the wheel of your car? Just a, This is a, on a whole different scale, but all summer long, we parked our lawn tractor in the same spot in our yard. The other day, Ricky was cutting the, and sucking up the leaves and cutting the lawn, and it was smoking, and we found out the chipmunks had started to build a nest in it for the winter. We were getting rid of a chair, and they'd been taking the stuffing out of the chair and building this nest. So I told him he got done. I said, don't park it over there anymore. Park it over by the house. This past Thursday, a dead tree fell right where that tractor was across our backyard. I haven't cleaned it up yet. If anybody wants to come over and help, I'm taking volunteers. You know, it's about this 90, 80-foot pine tree. It's just, you know, just the mercy of God. I'm thinking, what wasn't deductible my homeowners, you know? That's what I got to say. You know, it, it, it's a God sighting. God's at work. Do you see God at work? You can see it through the manifestation of his character and the circumstances are around you. One last thing. Not only do we need to be looking, we need to know what we're looking for, but once we see it, we need to be ready to respond. 
This isn't just for your curiosity and entertainment. God is revealing himself in your circumstances so that you can follow him. And you need to be ready to take on your mission assignment. What did I use the term? Your God-given missional sortie, as I put it in your notes. You know, you need to always be ready. You know, this, Jesus said to his disciples, you know, let your light shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. You need to be ready to respond to the God sightings that are in front of you because they're invitations from God to follow. And I've given you just a few examples here just to kind of whet your, your appetite. You know, some of you will have the Nicodemus moments, you know. You guys are very familiar with that story from John chapter 3. A religious leader is afraid of kind of what might happen if he's seen kind of talking with Jesus. So he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he says, you know, so, you know what do I do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, he said, you know, we know you're from God. Teach me. Those kinds of God moments are going to happen in your life as well. People are going to walk up to you at work or in your neighborhood and going to say, what, what do you think God thinks about this? It's a Nicodemus moment. I remember my father had a, say, well, there was a family up the street and their kids were a little younger for, than us and we used to play with them some when I was, was a child and you know, went off to college and his kids were still in high school and they were headed off in the wrong direction and he had absolutely no control over his two boys, none. And I remember he made an appointment to come by and to see my father at his office. And he came into his office, he closed the door, he sat down in the chair, and he looked at him with just tears really beginning to well. And I says, what did you do with your kids? Teach me. It's a Nicodemus moment. Invitation to say, show me, show me who God is. Those moments come. When you're looking for him, you're going to be surprised how many of them are actually in your world. Well, why don't you do that kind of stuff? It's a Nicodemus moment. Or it could be a Zacchaeus moment. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? In the first service, I call him Zacchaeus. So I was trying to make, uh, usually I make up new words. Today, I, I was making up new names. But Zacchaeus, you know the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. Wealthy guy, but kind of short. Kind of like Lawrence, you know. Jesus is coming to town, wants to see him. He gets down, he can't muscle his way through the crowd. He can't see anything besides the, the back of people's shoulders. So he runs down the road a little further. It tells us in Luke 19, climbed up in a sycamore tree. Because all he wanted to do was see Jesus. And Jesus looks up at him and says, Get out of that tree, I'm hungry. I'm paraphrasing now. We're going to eat at your house. Dinner's on you. And off they go. There's Zac- you have Zacchaeus moments in your life where you get a chance to see people who are looking for God. And you get a chance to invite them to go connect with him. For example, somebody walks in the doors of Hope Chapel that you've never seen before. They're looking to connect with God. It's a Zacchaeus moment. You know, you get to be their usher to go connect with them. Unfortunately, a lot of times we're so connected with the people we're already standing in the crowd with, we don't see the people standing in the tree who are looking for God. It's a Zacchaeus moment. It's a God sighting asking us to respond. Then there's the Good Samaritan dynamic. This idea that there's just a need that I can meet. You may get, many of you are familiar with that story. Jesus told a parable and, about who is really the best neighbor. And he told of a traveler who traveling up from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem down to Jericho who gets robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road. He's unable to care for himself. He's unable to move. He needs somebody to help him. Along comes the rabbi. Along comes the priest. They have a spiritual job to do. They can't get contaminated. So they move around him so they can go do their God thing. And along comes the despised half-breed Samaritan that nobody wanted to have, no Jew wanted to have anything to do with. And he sees this man's need and he responds to him. He binds up his wound and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to, a, to an inn and he pays for his, his lodging and for his care and he, he promises to come back and check in on him. He sees a need that he can meet. When you look around you and you see needs that you can meet, those are God sightings. 
And you don't have to go to Worcester to find them all. Not a bad place to go. And we certainly love our partnership there. But there's people in your neighborhoods. We live in a time where people are up and out, not just down and out. There's needs to be met. And those are God's sightings. It's how God shows us what he wants us to do. And then there's the woman at the well dynamic. And again, another tremendous event in the life of Jesus. He and his disciples decide to take a shortcut through Samaria. They're not going to go out across the Jordan River and up the, uh, up the east side. So they decide just to take the short route, shortcut, right through Samaria. Most Jews didn't do that because you had to come in contact with Samaritans. They get part of the way there. The day's running out. They're hungry. Jesus stays out by the well to refresh. The disciples go off into the village to find food. Don't want to go in by themselves because they're Samaritans. They're strength in numbers. So they all go in together. Jesus is left out there, and a woman comes to the well by herself to draw water at a time when you don't draw water. In other words, she's not the kind of woman you really want to be around because she's got a story behind her. And Jesus has this incredible encounter with her as they have this dialogue. And I don't have time to go into it because that's really not my point. Because they go through this wonder encounter and he talks about her background and about worshiping God in spirit and truth and all these kinds of wonderful things. What's her reaction? She boogies it back into the village. He says, you guys have got to come out and meet this guy. He's told me all about my life and he's never met me before. And he's teaching me now how to worship God in spirit and truth. Man, you guys need to come. Tell you what, every time a spiritual light bulb goes on in your head, when God shows you a truth, you have the opportunity to share it with somebody else. That's a God assignment. See, God's speaking and revealing himself to us all through our circumstances. If we have the heart to see it and we know what to look for, and we're ready to cooperate and follow his leadership, it's not so hard to see and to follow somebody who left the planet physically some 2,000 years ago. What's the outcome when we do it? Because it's a lot of work. Life is overwhelming. And it's hard to kind of stay focused on God. And I, I don't know if this illustration is going to help you very much, but I'm going to try it anyways. You know, you know wh- wh- why do we really care if we're following God? And I want to tell you it's because it's the place where your life is the strongest. Strongest to be a blessing to you, a strongest for you to be a blessing to others, a strongest for you to be a blessing to God. It's just the best place to be. And I'm going to use a, a, a kind of an illustration I used a number of years ago when we were still at the school. But, you know, one of Christina and I's inherited pastimes is that we have to go to a lot of baseball games. You know, we have been and, and at least have a few more years of that, I think. And, and so, you know, you, you lug off a folding chair to the baseball games. You know, so just imagine I've got my chair now made out of air. You know, and I'm pulling it out of my bag, and I'm spreading it out, and I'm getting a good solid on the ground, and I'm putting my Dunkin' Donuts coffee in the holder. Even if it's 98 degrees, I drink coffee at baseball games. You know, you know but I got my chair of air here. Is it going to, if I put my weight on it, is it going to hold me? That's not a rhetorical question. You think it's going to hold me or no? No. Why not? Well, let's change that just a little bit. This is the best thing I could find. It's football season, right? And you guys remember the XFL? It must have been on sale when that league closed. I don't know. So we still have it. What's this filled with? What was my chair made out of? Now, if I sit on this, is it going to hold me? You better say yes. <laughs> I've, lost, I've lost at least a couple of pounds. Now, think of your life like that air. If it's just spread out everywhere, it's got no strength. You put that air inside the center of the will of the God that you're following, it can hold up an 18-wheeler loaded with tons and tons and tons and tons of weight. That's why it's worth it to hear the voice and follow the one who left the planet some 2,000 years ago. Is that your heart desire today? Let's pray together.
Father, we acknowledge today that you are at work around us, that you are at work within us, and we know that's a good thing. Father, give us eyes to see that we might follow you because that's what we should want. And God, we invite you to shape us so that's what we do want in our journey with you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.